So that's what we're here uh, to talk about today. Many paths, one spirit, it's our tagline. Many paths, how can there be many paths? Isn't there one that's the right way? That's what so many would have you, be have you believe. But notice all those prayers for peace in all of those different religions say the same thing. That we recognize each other as brothers, as the same, as one, as us, without a them. Every single one that I read, and there are more, I didn't read them all, all of them say the same. All of them do. And so what I wanted to talk about this week, um, well, where this originally came from is that someone in the congregation asked me, what is that funky, oh, it's not even on my stole, what is that funky sign that we wear on our t-shirts on the back? And this is, let's go ahead and go to the next, um, that's what's on the back of our t-shirts. Teaching only love since 1985. And that one um, about from the top three down, she was asking me what that, what that was, what it meant, and I thought, well, you know, we're wearing those, those of us who have a t-shirt, so we should actually probably have an idea of what they mean. So we're going to start from the Christian cross. So go on to the next slide. There we go. So the Christian cross, um, whether it's a crucifix or a cross, um, it's what's used, but it wasn't what was used by the early Christians. It was what was used when the Roman Empire took over Christianity, basically. And they got that cross really from ancient Egypt. And it morphed into this idea that that was what Christ died on. We don't actually know, but the words in the scripture um, are, mean tree or pole. No place in the Bible does it say Christ died on a cross. He died on a tree or maybe on a pole. Um, but that was adopted. And I, and I don't personally, I very rarely will wear a cross unless I'm also wearing something else. Because I don't think that Jesus would have wanted us to remember him mostly for the way that he died. That wasn't the point. It was his teachings while he lived. And the symbol in traditional Christianity is that that cross is what separates, that sin separates God from man. They can never be together. What I prefer to think about is that we are on this human plane, we are living this, human, uh, this horizontal life. We are moving forward in time. But at every single moment, every nanosecond of time, there is this vertical that connects us with what is eternal in every single moment. We are not just this. And while we're in human bodies, we're not just this. We are both. And that's a beautiful way to look at it. So the next one is the Baha'i faith, this nine-pointed star. And I love the Baha'i. Um, it is the closest, really, to what we do, the Baha'i religion. It is considered the completion or the fulfillment of all prior religions, saying that there is one God, one unknowable creator of the universe. And it was started by a prophet, Baha'u'llah, which simply means glory of God. And he says, it is not for him to pride himself who loveth his own country, but rather for him who loveth the whole world. The earth is but one country and mankind its citizens. And so that nine-pointed star symbolizes 
um, all of the prior religions, saying that, um, that there is a oneness there, that all of God, all of humanity, all of freedom from prejudice, inherent nobility of humans, um, the revelation of truth, which didn't happen just 2,000 or 1,500 or 2,500 or 3,000 years ago, as our different major religions might tell us, but truth is being revealed at all times. It keeps on going. It keeps on going. And next. Now what we have on our, on, on our t-shirt is this uh, moon and star that crescent moon and star, which is known as, for, as a symbol for the Islamic faith by everyone except actual Muslims. <laughs> it actually was the symbol for the Byzantine Empire. And the Byzantine Empire was, um, we associate, because that was sort of the birthplace of Islam, and so we associate that. The rest of the world um, uses that, but they don't really use it. Um, the crescent, um, it's it said, equals, the, it's an early phase of the moon, so it, it equals potential progress, right? It's, it's on its way, it's on its way in. And the star is the light of knowledge that grows as we reach our potentiality. And yet, Muslims, um, prefer to use the calligraphy of the word God. And that's actually what it is. Um, calligraphy is considered the highest art to Muslims. A lot of people think they don't do art. They do do art, but there is a prohibition um, against, in the church anyway, recreating pictures of humans or animals because it has an intonation of, do you think you're God that you can create something? Now that is, Islamic fundamentalism, and most of the Muslims that I know are not fundamentalist um, Muslims, but that was the idea. However, still, in, in the non-fundamentalist um, Islamic mosques as well, this idea that the word of God made, be you know, made beautiful so that everybody can read it. Of course, that's only if you read Arabic. But that is their highest art, and it is simply a reminder that God is God. And here's the thing I love. La ilaha illallah. La ilaha illallah. It's a mouthful, but once you learn it, it feels so good to say. La ilaha, la ilaha illallah means there is no God but God. It means there is only God. It means there is nothing but God. And isn't that what we say every Sunday? God and love being completely interchangeable in my vocabulary. There is nothing but. There is no other God but God. There is nothing but God. God is in everything. God abandons no one and nothing. There is no place where God is not. I love that. So we're going to go on to our next little sign here. And this is from, this is used by Buddhists and Hindus, and it is the symbol for Om, which is considered to be the first sound in the universe. The cool thing is that a whole bunch of different scriptures talk about the word being where creation began. Um, God, in the beginning, God said, let there be light, and then there was light. 
or in John, um, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This idea of the Word. And the Word, Om, Aum, Aum, has three, has three sounds, Ah, Ooh, Mm. And those are the three aspects of God in Hinduism. Um, reality, that's th- th- free, three aspects of God, which is their ultimate reality. Brahma, which is the creator God, Vishnu, the preserver God, and Shiva, the destroyer God. Now, not three separate gods, but an honoring of the fact that God creates, and part of creation is that there is a moment, there are moments of sustaining, and then there are moments of dying. We birth, that's the cycle of birth and death right there. Created, preserved, released. Creative, created, preserved, and released. This is the sound of Aum. It means God is the beginning and the end, exactly like it says in our Bible, the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end. All of it. Now, I didn't put the the symbol up there because it's a scary symbol to Americans, but you know, um, the swastika is actually an Indian term, is a Hindi term or a Sanskrit term, and it was not, it was taken and, um, what's the word I'm looking for, misused by the Nazis, but it really has nothing to do with that. Um, swastika means only good exists or all is well. It represents the four Vedas, or the four goals of life, the way, the um, right action, worldly prosperity and enjoyment, and then spiritual liberation. It it, it represents four seasons. It represents the four directions. It represents the four yogas. All of those things are in there, but the idea is that, and yoga means union. Directly translated, that's all that word means. It doesn't mean put your heel behind your head. (laughs) It means union. And hatha yoga, where we put our heels behind our heads, or some people do, I don't, um, is one form of yoga that's supposed to be a part of a whole spiritual practice, not taken out on its own. Um, And so yoga is any practice that brings union with God. Any practice that brings union with God. So the next one, Buddha. So the Buddhists do use that Aum symbol. Buddhism came, I mean, came from Hinduism, basically. Siddhartha was a Hindu and went on his journey to find enlightenment and became the Buddha and then started teaching from there. So they're very, they're very closely related. So this is the Buddhist wheel, is the wheel of Dharma. It's the wheel of the path. It's the wheel of the way. Once again, that idea that everything keeps coming around again and again and again, as Carly Simon says in the song, it'll be coming around again. Um, that, and that idea that, that that's exactly how it's supposed to be, that all is well, that things rise, they live for a time, and then they fall. They rise, they live for a time, and they fall. That is life on earth. But these spokes, these eight spokes represent the eightfold, the noble eightfold path, which is um, right view, 
Right resolve means you see things are right, and then you can decide that you want to do things right. Right speech, and from that decision comes using your words carefully. Right action, from that decision comes being able to act with love in the world. Right occupation, how are you going to spend your working life? Right effort, what are you going to put your heart and your work and your skill and your time into? Right mindfulness, are you in awareness as much of the time as possible? And then finally, right concentration, are you in awareness all the time? I have not gotten all eight of those, but those are, that is what Buddhists aspire to, this noble eightfold path. Really beautiful. The Jain symbol is this hand, ahimsa, um, which you'll see in decoration, you'll see it in a lot of places, and it represents different things. But in Jain, in Jainism, their, their major tenant is do no harm. Be very aware that everything you do in this world potentially creates harm for another being, for another being, not even just another human being, but for another being. And so ahimsa stands for nonviolence. That's all. And the circle in the middle of the himsa is called the Dharma Chakra. So it is um, talking about how we can get off this wheel, <laughs> this turning wheel, when we tr prove to be truly harmless in the world. Um, it's based upon a belief in karma, which the Hindus and the Buddhists also share. This idea that as you create harm, walking through your life, stomping around in big boots, not even knowing what you're stepping on, that, cr that sends you back. You have to keep working until you can reach the point where you're not doing harm. So that's the idea of Jainism. No harm, relentless pursuit of complete nonviolence. Nonviolence in word, nonviolence in deed, nonviolence in every way. And the Jewish six-pointed star, that's not in scripture anywhere, but it's, become, it's come to represent um, the Jewish religion. It is, it's called the Star of David. These overlapping triangles are about the fact that man does not exist without God. God is one triangle, man is the other triangle. They are not separate. They form to create one light. There is oneness there. And it's, called, it's also called the Magan David, which means the shield of God. And it's this idea that as long as man and God are closely connected, we are safe and protected. That is the shield of God. So the next time you see a Star of David, think about that. Man and God inseparable and constantly shielded by the divine. And next... This is the Sikh symbol. It's called the Kanda. And it stands for, their, their main motto is Deg Teg Fate, which means feed people, protect the needy and the oppressed. It's a symbol of infinity, a primal creative power. That's the circle is that symbol of infinity. That knife is what cuts through what happens in what we think is going on in the world into the truth of what's real. And then the two knives on the side are about feeding people 
and about defending the weak, about defending the weak from oppression. So this idea that there is one supreme reality, and this, the shape of this is, isn't just about the, the knives, it's meant to shape a kettle or a, a cooking pot, which is the, represents the idea of feeding the world, that it is ours to feed the world. Sikhs are the ones who wear turbans. And a turban is a sign of respect that a young man gets after he has proved himself to his community that he is in service to them, that he is um, protecting the liberty and rights of others, that he is feeding his community, whether in very physical ways or other ways, that we are in service. And so the turban is what you get when you have proved that you are serving. And the turban is meant to be a sign to all the world. This makes me cry when I think about this. It's meant to be a sign to all the world. If you see someone in a turban, he will feed you. If you see someone in a turban, he is there to protect you. And unfortunately, the ignorance of Americans, which knows no bounds, um, has, has mixed up the Sikh religion with fundamentalist Muslim religion, which are not any the same at all. Um, and and um, the first man killed after 9-11, the first victim of a, hate, of a religious hate crime after 9-11 was a Sikh, was an uncle who was called uncle by hundreds of people because he had taken them into his family. He was somebody who fed the needy. He was somebody who served his community beautifully. And yet, in our ignorance, we, we just go, that's different. Sometimes that's all it takes. That's different. Different is only dangerous when we forget that in the heart we're all the same. There is no, different is great when it's diversity, when it's celebrated as variations of beauty. But there is no real difference in the heart. We are all the same. And next, what have we got? Oh, this is the Taoist um, symbol. And Taoism is almost is more of a philosophy than a religion. And um, Confucians use this as well. But it's this idea, once again, that relentless circle of life, and that there are there is all there is always um, what's that phrase in ph physics? For every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. That there are polarities. They're not necessarily opposites, but there are polarities. In order for the light to exist, there must be dark with which to contrast it. But even in the middle of the darkest dark, there is light. And even in the middle of the brightest light, there is some darkness. That we are all of that. That we don't say, I like the light, I'm not looking at anything else, but that we embrace our whole selves is the idea. That we enter into a life where we are embracing our whole self. That is the yin and yang. And that all comes down to the love, the power of the love in you and me. The power of the love. All of those symbols in some way represent love, represent divine love, represent the human's best hope of appropriating divine love, which is the truth of them, but which we forget, and then using it in the world. 
And so when we talk about many paths, we're not just talking about these possible religious paths, although they're all beautiful. Um, there was a, a man named Bede Griffiths who started out as a Catholic priest and then um, converted to be an Episcopalian or an Anglican priest and then went to India to convert the Indians to Anglicanism and then ended up starting an ashram. <laughs> And he didn't stop being a priest, but he incorporated all of the wisdom from Hinduism and Buddhism into his teachings. Very, very, very wise man. And he, he, he was given to saying, if you look at the major religions, they, they look very different. The, sto the creation stories are different. The ways people are supposed to dress or the habits they're supposed to form in their lives, very, very different. All of these stories and mythologies and crude directions are different. But they're all meant to be a way in to the center. We were never meant to hang out in the story. What happens when you get stuck in your story? Your story can't change. And we've talked about the fact that truth is being revealed all the time. And when you get from the story down to the center, regardless of where you start in the story... The center is always love, always love. And so religions are fighting over their mythology. And I know I could be shot for saying the word mythology when they're talking about scripture, but it is, it's all mythology. And it's beautiful if you know that's what it is. It's beautiful if you divine the meaning from it instead of going, well, that's it. And there's only one way to look at it and that's all then you will not find the love. Or you'll find the love only for some people. And that was never the message. Do you know that the Jews being called the chosen people, that really um, hacks some people off. The chosen, you're going to call yourself the chosen people. Do you understand that the chosen was, we are the ones who are chosen to bring love to the world. We are the ones chosen to help. We are the ones, because we know about this one God and this one love, we are the ones who get to show the way to that one love, to that one God. Not chosen like, we're better than you, so God's just going to shoot you all down. The Old Testament might have you believe that stuff. But like every single piece of mythology, whether it's from the Quran, whether it's from the Hebrew Bible or the Christian Bible, all of those stories are about us. Not about you and you and you and you and them and me, but about me. What part of me is shooting down my enemies? What part of me has decided that something's an enemy? What part of me is chickening out and not standing up for what I believe in? What part of me is whatever the story happens to be? All of it is an inside job. And this idea of Muslim jihad, holy war. The holy war, and Muhammad said, the holy war is within. It's not what you do to other people. Dude, if you're going to fight a war, you need to figure out who your real enemy is, and it's only ever always you. And the good news is, only ever always you can overcome it with love. So that's the idea between the many paths of these various religions. But more than that, I believe there are as many paths to God as there are human beings who have ever lived. 
because your path is never going to be identical to mine. The things that annoy me may be the things that teach you your deepest lesson. The things that you dismiss may be um, are the most meaningful to me because guess what? We're all different and that's beautiful. It's only dangerous when we forget that love is our commonality and our goal. And so everybody gets to follow their own path. And all this stuff is the stories that may or may not help you find that path. And so if the story works, keep the story. It doesn't matter whose religion it belongs to. If the story works for you, then by golly, it's your story. And if it doesn't, that's fine. It was meant for someone else, and that's okay. It's like saying... Um, there's all this music on the radio, but I only really like one of them, so everything else should just stop because every other kind of music is wrong besides the kind I like. No, there's room for all of it. There's room for the infinite variety of God, and we will all find our way individually, even as in community we uphold each other on our path, on our journey. So this Oh, this overall oneness, this in the beginning was the word, this la ilaha illallah, this here, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. God is one. They're all saying the same things. And when we say, there is only love, there is only love, or I'm raising the veil between me and my God. We are speaking of that exact same thing. And if it doesn't make sense to you, put it aside and find what does. Until you find that love that's resonating within your heart and it doesn't matter then how you got there at all, at all. We're here to bring compassion to the world. We're here to find a way to not harm another. And if we can't not harm, then we do the least harm. <laughs> right? That's what the Jains say. Every single one of these paths says, do unto others as you would have them do to you. Do not do unto others as you wouldn't have them do to you. Know your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Every one of them has a version of the golden rule which tells me that none of those religions made up the golden rule. That was inherent, obvious truth to everybody from the very beginning. And then we make up stories and we cover up that idea. But because it's uncomfortable to think that you are me and I am you, but I don't like you very much. Well, guess what? That probably means I don't like me very much. And that's where my work begins. My work is to accept all of that in me. Balance, oneness, and equality with the masculine and the feminine. We're all searching for that. And it comes down to love your neighbor. And whatever gets you there, meditating on Om, putting your heel behind your head, giving to charity, following Jesus, surrendering to the one God, setting your alarm to pray five times a day, whatever works for you, that's your path. And it's a valid path leading you to love. Namaste. We're just going to take that into a quick meditation. <laughs>
so if you would just breathe in. I'm going to take this off because it's making me sweat a lot. And as you breathe in, know that you are breathing in love because love is the source and the substance of the universe. Yes, you can breathe love. And allow your inhale of that love to heal you and then allow yourself to release on an exhale knowing that there is always more love. You don't have to hold on to anything. There's a time of arising a time of preservation and there is a time of giving way. And as you breathe, contemplate the fact that with every breath you are literally exchanging atoms with everyone else on earth. quantum level is no you or me. There's just the one. We are one with that spirit and with each other. We are one. And any truth that leads you to love is your truth. So ask, perhaps right now, as you are breathing in this love and releasing it, what is my guiding truth? And what practice can I do to serve that guiding truth so that it may bloom in me and fill me? so that it is easy to see from the outside the love that has bloomed inside. And knowing when we come to that place of our blooming love, of our out flowering with love, of our love overflowing the stem and coming out in beauty to the world, that that brings healing, not just to us, because we are one. It brings healing to the whole. And so in this moment, as you breathe in love, accept the victory that you are breathing in love for everyone. Everyone who doesn't know that that love is completely and at every moment available. Know it for them. And as you breathe in more love, take a moment to simply give thanks. I have the opportunity in every moment to decide to live the love that I know to be the truth. success at that brings more love into the world. And every moment that I try and fail at that is simply another opportunity 
to bring love into the world, an opportunity to overcome that which doesn't feel or look like love, an opportunity again and again and again to allow love to bloom in me. So we give thanks for that opportunity and we give thanks for this group of people who surround us physically in this room, but also emotionally and spiritually in all of the places where we practice this love. That there are no accidents that everyone in your life is here to teach you how to love. And so give thanks. will become the way that you remember love the way that you show love the way that you hold love and so it is